0: Section 19 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brian Dole. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 4, by John Calvin. Translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter 10, Part 3 twenty one it gives them no great help in defending their tyranny to pretend the example of the apostles. the apostles and elders of the primitive church, according to them, sanctioned a decree without any authority from Christ by which they commanded all the Gentiles to abstain from meat offered to idols from things strangled and from blood acts fifteen twenty if this was lawful for them, why should not their successors be allowed to imitate the example, as often as occasion requires? Would that they would always imitate them, both in this and in other matters, for I am ready to prove on valid grounds that here nothing new has been instituted or decreed by the apostles. For when Peter declares in that council That God is tempted if a yoke is laid on the necks of the disciples, he overthrows his own argument if he afterwards allows a yoke to be imposed on them. But it is imposed if the apostles, on their own authority, prohibit the Gentiles from touching meat offered to idols, things strangled, and blood. The difficulty still remains that they seem nevertheless to prohibit them. But this will easily be removed by attending more closely to the meaning of their decree. The first thing in order, and the chief thing in importance, is that the Gentiles were to retain their liberty, which was not to be disturbed, and that they were not to be annoyed with the observances of the law. As yet, the decree is all in our favour. The reservation which immediately follows is not a new law enacted by the Apostles, but a divine and eternal command of God against the violation of charity, which does not detract one iota from that liberty. It only reminds the Gentiles how that they are to accommodate themselves to their brother, and to not abuse their liberty for an occasion of offence. Let the second head therefore be that the Gentiles are to use an innoxious liberty, giving no offence to the brethren. Still, however, they prescribe some certain thing, namely they show and point out, as was expedient at the time, what those things are by which they may give offence to their brethren, that they may avoid them. But they add no novelty of their own to the eternal law of God, which forbids the offence of brethren. 22. As in the case where faithful pastors presiding over churches not yet well constituted, should intimate to their flocks not to eat flesh on Friday until the weak among whom they live become strong, or to work on a holiday, or any other similar things, although when superstition is laid aside, these matters are in themselves indifferent. Still, where offence is given to the brethren, they cannot be done without sin. So there are times when believers cannot set this example before the weak brethren without most grievously wounding their consciences. Who but a slanderer would say that a new law is enacted by those who, it is evident, only guard against scandals which their master has distinctly forbidden. But nothing more than this can be said of the apostles, who had no other end in view in removing grounds of offence than to enforce the divine law, which prohibits offence. As if they had said, The Lord hath commanded you not to hurt a weak brother, but meats offered to idols, things strangled in blood, ye cannot eat without offending weak brethren. We therefore require you, in the word of the Lord, not to eat with offence. And to prove that the apostles had respect to this, the best witness is Paul, who writes as follows, undoubtedly, according to the sentiments of the council, quote, As concerning therefore the eating of those things which are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one, unquote, quote, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour Eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Quote, but take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. Unquote. 1 Corinthians 8 4 9. Anyone who duly considers these things will not be imposed upon by the gloss which these men employ when as a cloak. To their tyranny they pretend that the apostles had begun by their decree to infringe the liberty of the church but that they may be unable to escape without confessing the accuracy of this explanation let them tell me by what authority they have dared to abrogate this very decree it was it seems because there was no longer any danger of those offences and dissensions which the apostles wished to obviate, and they knew that the law was to be judged by its end. Seeing therefore the law was passed with a view to charity, there is nothing prescribed in it except in so far as required by charity. In confessing that the transgression of this law is nothing but a violation of charity, do they not at the same time acknowledge that it was not some adventitious supplement to the law of God? but a genuine and simple adaptation of it to the times and manners for which it was destined. 23. But though such laws are hundreds of times unjust and injurious to us, they still contend that they are to be heard without exception, for the thing asked of us is not to consent to errors, but only to submit to the strict commands of those set over us, commands which we are not at liberty to decline 1 peter 2:18. but here also the lord comes to the succour of his word and frees us from this bondage by asserting the liberty which he has purchased for us by his sacred blood and the benefit of which he has more than once attested by his word for the thing required of us is not as they maliciously pretend to endure some grievous oppression in our body, but to be tortured in our consciences and brought into bondage, in other words robbed of the benefit of Christ's blood. Let us omit this, however, as if it was irrelevant to the point. Do we think it a small matter that the Lord is deprived of his kingdom which he so strictly claims for himself? Now he is deprived of it as often as he is worshipped with laws of human invention, since his will is to be sole legislator of his worship. And lest any one should consider that this is of small moment, let us hear how the Lord himself estimates it. Quote, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honour me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvellous work among the people, even a marvellous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid Unquote. isaiah twenty nine thirteen to fourteen, and in another place, quote, but in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men Unquote. matthew fifteen nine And indeed, when the children of Israel polluted themselves with manifold idolatries, the cause of the whole evil is ascribed to that impure mixture caused by their disregarding the commandments of God and framing new modes of worship. Accordingly, sacred history relates that the new inhabitants, who had been brought by the king of Assyria from Babylon to inhabit Samaria, were torn and destroyed by wild beasts, because they knew not the judgment or statutes of the God of that land. 2 Kings seventeen twenty-four to 34 Though they had done nothing wrong in ceremonies, still their empty show could not have been approved by God. Meanwhile he ceased not to punish them for the violation of his worship by the introduction of fictions alien from his word. Hence it is afterwards said that, terrified by the punishment, they adopted the rites prescribed in the law, but as they did not yet worship God purely, it is twice repeated that they feared Him, and feared not. Hence we infer that part of the reverence due to Him consists in worshipping Him simply in the way which He commands, without mingling any inventions of our own, and accordingly, Pious princes are repeatedly praised, 2 Kings 22, 1, etc., for acting according to all his precepts, and not declining either to the right hand or to the left. I go further. Although there be no open manifestation of impiety in fictitious worship, it is strictly condemned by the Spirit, inasmuch as it is a departure from the command of God. The altar of Ahaz, a model of which had been brought from Damascus, to King 16.10, might have seemed to give additional ornament to the temple, seeing it was his intention there to offer sacrifices to God only, and to do it more splendidly than at the first ancient altar. Yet we see how the Spirit detests the audacious attempt for no other reasons, but because human inventions are, in the worship of God, impure corruptions and the more clearly the will of god has been manifested to us the less excusable is our petulance in attempting anything accordingly the guilt of Manasses is aggravated by the circumstances of having erected a new altar at jerusalem of which the lord said quote, in jerusalem will i put my name unquote two kings twenty two three and four because the authority of God was thereby professedly rejected. 24. Many wonder why God threatens so sternly that He will bring astonishment on the people who worship Him with the commandments of men, and declares that it is vain to worship Him with the commandments of men. But if they would consider what it is in the matter of religion that is of heavenly wisdom, to depend on God alone. They would, at the same time, see that it is not on slight grounds the Lord abominates perverse service of this description, which is offered him at the caprice of the human will. For, although there is some show of humility in the obedience of those who obey such laws in worshipping God, yet they are by no means humble, since they prescribe to him the very laws which they observe. This is the reason why Paul would have us so carefully to beware of being deceived by the traditions of men and what is called Othelothracekia, that is, voluntary worship, worship devised by men without sanction from God. Thus it is indeed. We must be fools in regard to our own wisdom and all the wisdom of men in order that we may allow him alone to be wise. This course is by no means observed by those who seek to approve themselves to him by paltry observances of man's devising, and as it were against his will, obtrude upon him a prevaricating obedience which is yielded to men. This is the course which has been pursued for several ages, and within our own recollection, and is still pursued in the present day, in those places in which the power of the creature is more than that of the Creator, where religion, if religion it deserves to be called, is polluted with more numerous and more absurd superstitions than ever paganism was. For what could human sense produce but things carnal and fatuous and saving of their authors? 25 when the patrons of superstition cloak them by pretending that Samuel sacrificed in Ramath, and though he did so contrary to the law, yet pleased God, 1 Samuel 7.17, it is easy to answer that he did not set up a second altar in opposition to the only true one, but as the place for the Ark of the Covenant had not been fixed, he sacrificed in the town where he dwelt, as being the most convenient. It certainly never was the intention of the Holy Prophet to make any innovation in sacred things in regard to which the Lord had so strictly forbidden addition or diminution. The case of Manoah I consider to have been extraordinary and special. He, though a private man, offered sacrifice to God and did it not without approbation, because he did it not from a rash movement of his own mind, but by divine inspiration. Judges 13.19 How much God abominates all the devices of men in his worship, we have a striking proof in the case of one not inferior to Manoah, namely Gideon, whose ephod brought ruin not only on himself and on his family, but on the whole people. Judges 8.27 In short, every adventitious invention by which men desire to worship God, is nothing else than a pollution of true holiness. 26. Why then, they ask, did Christ say that the intolerable burdens imposed by scribes and Pharisees were to be borne? Matthew 23.3 Nay, rather, why did he say in another place that we were to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees? Matthew 16.6 meaning by leaven, as the evangelist Matthew explains it, whatever of human doctrine is mingled with the pure word of God. What can be plainer than that we are enjoined to shun and beware of the whole doctrine? From this it is most certain that in the other passage, our Lord never meant that the consciences of His people were to be harassed by the mere traditions of the Pharisees, and the words themselves, unless when rested have no such meaning our lord indeed beginning to inveigh against the manners of the pharisees first instructs his hearers simply that though they saw nothing to follow in the lives of the pharisees they should not however cease to do what they verbally taught when they sat in the seat of moses that is to expound the law all he meant therefore was to guard the common people against being led by the bad example of their teachers to despise doctrine but as some are not all moved by reason and always require authority i will quote a passage from augustine in which the very same thing is expressed the lord's sheepfold has persons set over it of whom some are faithful others hirelings those who are faithful are true shepherds Learn, however, that hirelings also are necessary. For many in the church, pursuing temporal advantages, preach Christ, and the voice of Christ is heard by them, and the sheep follow, not a hireling, but the shepherd by means of a hireling. Learn that hirelings were pointed out by the Lord himself. The scribes and Pharisees, says he, sit in Moses' seat. What they tell you, do but what they do, do ye not. What is this but to say, hear the voice of the shepherd by means of the hirelings? Sitting in the chair, they teach the law of God, and therefore God teaches by them. But if they choose to teach their own, hear not, do not. Thus far, Augustine. 27. But as very many ignorant persons, on hearing that it is impious to bind the conscience, and vain to worship God with human traditions, apply one blot to all the laws, by which the order of the Church is established, it will be proper to obviate their error. Here indeed, the danger of mistake is great, for it is not easy to see at first sight how widely the two things differ, but I will in a few words make the matter so clear that no one will be imposed upon by the resemblance. First, then, let us understand that if in every human society some kind of government is necessary to ensure the common peace and maintain concord, if in transacting business some form must always be observed which public decency and hence humanity itself require us not to disregard, this ought especially to be observed in churches which are best sustained by a constitution in all respects well ordered and without which concord can have no existence wherefore if we would provide for the safety of the church we must always carefully attend to paul's injunction that all things be done decently and in order 1 corinthians 14:40 but seeing there is such diversity in the manners of men such variety in their minds, such repugnance in their judgments and dispositions, no policy is sufficiently firm unless fortified by certain laws, nor can any right be observed without a fixed form. So far, therefore, are we from condemning the laws which conduce to this, that we hold that the removal of them would unnerve the church, deface and dissipate it entirely. For Paul's injunction that all things be done decently and in order cannot be observed, unless order and decency be secured by the addition of ordinances as a kind of bonds. In these ordinances, however, we must always attend to the exception that they must not be thought necessary to salvation, nor lay the conscience under a religious obligation. They must not be compared to the worship of God nor substituted for piety 28 we have therefore a most excellent and sure mark to distinguish between those impious constitutions by which as we have said true religion is overthrown and conscience subverted and the legitimate observances of the church if we remember that one of two things or both together are always intended namely that in the sacred assembly of the faithful all things may be done decently and with becoming dignity and that human society may be maintained in order by certain bonds as it were of moderation and humanity for when a law is understood to have been made for the sake of public decency there is no room for the superstition into which those fall who measure the worship of god by human inventions on the other hand when the law is known to be intended for common use that false idea of its obligation and necessity which gives great alarm to the conscience when traditions are deemed necessary to salvation is overthrown since nothing here is sought but the maintenance of charity by a common office but it may be proper to explain more clearly what is meant by the decency which Paul commends, and also what is comprehended under order. And the object of decency is partly that by the use of rites which produce reverence in sacred matters, we may be excited to piety, and partly that the modesty and gravity which ought to be seen in all honourable actions may here especially be conspicuous. In order, the first thing is, that those who preside know the law and rule of right government, while those who are governed be accustomed to obedience and right discipline. The second thing is, that by duly arranging the state of the church, provision be made for peace and tranquillity. 29. We shall not, therefore, give the name of decency to that which only ministers an empty pleasure such for example as is seen in that theatrical display which the papists exhibit in their public service where nothing appears but a mask of useless splendour and luxury without any fruit but we give the name of decency to that which suited to the reverence of sacred mysteries forms a fit exercise for piety or at least gives an ornament adapted to the action and is not without fruit but reminds believers of the great modesty seriousness and reverence with which sacred things ought to be treated moreover ceremonies in order to be exercises of piety must lead us directly to christ in like manner we shall not make order consist in that nugatory pomp which gives nothing but evanescent splendour but in that arrangement which removes all confusion barbarism contumacy all turbulence and dissension of the former class we have examples one corinthians eleven five twenty one where paul says that profane entertainments must not be intermingled with the sacred supper of the lord that women must not appear in public uncovered and there are many other things which we have in daily practice such as praying on our knees and with our head uncovered, administering the sacraments of the Lord not sordidly, but with some degree of dignity, employing some degree of solemnity in the burial of our dead, and so forth. In the other class are the hours set apart for public prayer, sermon, and solemn services. During sermon, quiet and silence, fixed places, singing of hymns, days set apart for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, the prohibition of Paul against women teaching in the church, and such like. To the same list especially may be referred those things which preserve discipline as catechizing, ecclesiastical censures, excommunication, fastings, etc. Thus, all ecclesiastical constitutions, which we admit to be sacred and salutary, may be reduced to two heads, the one relating to rites and ceremonies, the other to discipline and peace. 30. But as there is here a danger, on the one hand, lest false bishops should thence derive a pretext for their impious and tyrannical laws, and on the other, lest some, too apt to take alarm, should from fear of the above evils Leave no place for laws, however holy. It may be proper to declare that I approve of those human constitutions only which are founded on the authority of God and derived from Scripture and are therefore altogether divine. Let us take, for example, the bending of the knee, which is made in public prayer. It is asked whether this is a human tradition which any one is at liberty to repudiate or neglect. I say that it is human, and that at the same time it is divine. It is of God, inasmuch as it is part of that decency, the care and observance of which is recommended by the Apostle, and it is of men, inasmuch as it specially determines what was indicated in general, rather than expounded. From this one example, we may judge what it is to be thought of the whole class, namely that the whole sum of righteousness, and all the parts of divine worship, and everything necessary to salvation, the Lord has faithfully comprehended, and clearly unfolded in His sacred oracles, so that in them He alone is the only Master to be heard. But as in external discipline and ceremonies, he has not been pleased to prescribe every particular that we ought to observe. He foresaw that this depended on the nature of the times, and that one form would not suit all ages. In them, we must have recourse to the general rules which he has given, employing them to test whatever the necessity of the church may require to be enjoined for order and decency. Lastly, as he has not delivered any express command, because things of this nature are not necessary to salvation, and for the edification of the church should be accommodated to the varying circumstances of each age and nation, it will be proper, as the interest of the church may require, to change and abrogate the old, as well as to introduce new forms. I confess, indeed, that we are not to innovate rashly, or incessantly, or for trivial causes, Charity is the best judge of what tends to hurt or edify. If we allow her to be guide, all things will be safe. 31. Things which have been appointed according to this rule, it is the duty of the Christian people to observe with a free conscience indeed, and without superstition, but also with a pious and ready inclination to obey. They are not to hold them in contempt nor pass them by with careless indifference, far less openly to violate them in pride and contumacy. You will ask, what liberty of conscience will there be in such cautious observances? Nay, this liberty will admirably appear when we shall hold that these are not fixed and perpetual obligations to which we are restricted, but external rudiments for human infirmity, which though we do not all need, we, however, all use, because we are bound to cherish mutual charity towards each other. This we may recognize in the examples given above. What? Is religion placed in a woman's bonnet, so that it is unlawful for her to go out with her head uncovered? Is her silence fixed by a decree which cannot be violated without the greatest wickedness? Is there any mystery in bending the knee, or burying a dead body, which cannot be omitted without a crime, by no means, for should a woman require to make such haste in assisting a neighbour that she has not time to cover her head, she sins not in running out with her head uncovered, and there are some occasions on which it is not less seasonable for her to speak than on others to be silent nothing moreover forbids him who from disease cannot bend his knees to pray standing in fine it is better to bury a dead man quickly than from want of grave clothes or the absence of those who should attend the funeral to wait till it rots away unburied nevertheless in those matters the custom and institution of the country in short humanity and the rules of modesty itself declare what is to be done or avoided Here, if any error is committed through imprudence or forgetfulness, no crime is perpetrated. But if this is done from contempt, such contumacy must be disapproved. In like manner, it is of no consequence what the days and hours are, what the nature of the edifices and what psalms are sung on each day. But it is proper that there should be certain days and stated hours and a place fit for receiving all if any regard is to be had to the preservation of peace for what a seedbed of quarrels will confusion in such matters be if every one is allowed at pleasure to alter what pertains to common order all will not be satisfied with the same course if matters placed as it were on a debatable ground are left to the determination of individuals but if any one here becomes clamorous and would be wiser than he ought let him consider how he will approve his moroseness to the Lord. Paul's answer ought to satisfy us, If any man seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. 32. Moreover, we must use the utmost diligence to prevent any error from creeping in, which may either taint or sully this pure use. In this we shall succeed if whatever observances we use are manifestly useful and very few in number, especially if to this is added the teaching of a faithful pastor, which may prevent access to erroneous opinions. The effect of this procedure is that in all these matters each retains his freedom, and yet at the same time voluntarily subjects it to a kind of necessity, in so far as the decency of which we have spoken, or charity, demands. Next, that in the observance of these things we may not fall into superstition, nor rigidly require too much from others. Let us not imagine that the worship of God is improved by a multitude of ceremonies. Let not church despise church because of difference in external discipline. Lastly, Instead of here laying down any perpetual law for ourselves, let us refer the whole end and use of observances to the edification of the Church, at whose request, let us, without offence, allow not only something to be changed, but even observances which were formerly in use to be inverted. For the present age is a proof that the nature of times allows that certain rites, not otherwise impious or unbecoming, may be abrogated according to circumstances such was the ignorance and blindness of former times with such erroneous ideas and pertinacious zeal did churches formerly cling to ceremonies that they can scarcely be purified from monstrous superstitions without the removal of many ceremonies which were formerly established not without cause and which in themselves are not chargeable with any impiety end of section 19